Ezra chapter 8, and in verses 1 all the way over to verse, um, man, it goes way down to verse 14. We have a, a genealogy, and we have the list of those that returned with Ezra. Ezra was a man with a mission. You know, and in a sense, we all are, you guys. We all have uh, specific missions in life. You know, your family, uh, extended ministry, uh, we all have that. Uh, for Ezra, it was a calling for him to go and to teach in the temple. And he would bring the word of God. We saw that last week in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, to the temple of God. And he would bring revival. You know, um, I went to go visit Bob McCarter in the hospital today, and he's asleep. And my heart goes out to him. He's sedated, and they say that they're going to wake him up. But, you know, seeing that visual, I, I realize that there's a lot of people in the church that are asleep, that they need an awakening. There's a lot of people that have gone away from God, and they need to return. Uh, there's some that they, they, get, they got a heart attack, and they need, like, revival. That's what Ezra did. After 57 years, that's a long time, what had happened was the people of God had gone back and they formed ungodly relationships. We're going to see. It's crazy. <laughs> Ezra, this guy, when he found out that all the people were mixing with the world and they were marrying pagans, you know what he did? He pulled out his hair and he pulled out his beard and he tore his clothes and he was just so bummed that God's people had gone in the wrong direction. And so God would use him just like God wants to use you, whoever you are, whatever your name is. I don't care how good you think you are or bad you think you are or young in the Lord, old in the Lord. God wants to use you to bring a revival. Would you want him to use your life? Would you be one of those that say, Lord God, use my life. I know I'm not much. I'm a, I'm a zero. I'm all messed up, Lord, but I, I'm available. If that would be you, then you could learn from tonight's study a few things, I think, that can help us. How do we, you know, really have a successful mission in life? You know, I was talking to a lady the other day, and she was telling me about how she's involved in some self-destructive behavior. You know how sometimes kids will cut themselves? You know, young people, they do things. Um, you know, it's crazy. Sometimes, you know, people, they got cirrhosis of the liver, but they, they still continue to drink. They're killing themselves. You know, suicide is a huge, huge uh, thing in, in, the, in, in our country because the enemy, what he does is he's involved in self. He moves us to be involved in self-destructive behavior. And, uh, and so what ends up happening, you know, is people end up dying young. And here's what I think. I think that God wants us to live our life as, as much as we can of our life for him. You know, don't, don't kill yourself. Don't cut your life short. Finish the race. Finish the mission that you were given by God. And so Ezra was one of those guys, and we learn a lot from him. In verses 1 through 14, basically, we have the first point. And I want to give you guys four points, and they're just kind of like things to think about. It's not an exhaustive list or anything, but 
One, the first thing is this, is, this, is this word. It's the word volunteer. Volunteer. As a matter of fact, if you go back to chapter 7, look at verse 13. It says, I issue a decree that all those of the people of Israel and the priests and Levites in my realm who volunteer to go up to Jerusalem may go with you. The, the first word is volunteer. And I'm not going to read all these names in verses 1 through 14 of Ezra 8. But it's, uh, it's a list of 1,672 people who volunteered to go back to Jerusalem to travel 1,000 miles. It was a journey that took five months. It would be difficult. It would be dangerous. But once they heard the news, they, maybe they saw it on eyewitness news, I'm not sure, but somehow they got the word, hey, there's going to be a trip and there's an invitation to go back to Jerusalem. I heard that guy Ezra, he's heading it up. I want to go. I want to go. They just heard about it and what ended up happening, they volunteered to go. It was 1,672 people that are mentioned here, plus we have the women and the children and it would be a, a dangerous journey. Have you guys ever gone like on a on a dangerous journey? Just out of curiosity. I mean, you know, uh, it's an adventure. This would be uh, a definitely adventure. I mean, we're talking about going through, you know, the hood. We're talking about going through places. I remember when we went on a journey, and I was in Cambodia, and we went to the border of Vietnam. And, uh, you know, this for, for, for me, this is about as dangerous as it gets. And, and the road was crazy. And then we started driving through rivers. And this one guy, he was a crazy driver. He had a Jeep and, you know, he was pretty good at it. But even he got a little afraid. He said, I don't know if we're going to make it through that. It was real deep and it was a narrow road. And it, we started like tipping to the right and... I'm like, Lord Jesus, <laughs> I just want to serve you, Lord. And I kind of don't, this is not really the way that I want to die, you know. And uh, I don't know. I mean, that's, when we're talking about take that concept and multiply it a thousand times. Five-month journey, dif difficult, dangerous, who's in? And these guys are like, hey, I'm in. They're volunteers, you know. And, and you guys, I want to encourage you in that sense. Um, when we're getting people involved in the ministry, the Bible says that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into harvest. You know, and so when you hear about something or when you hear about a need or, you know, just things start stirring up inside of you, man, take that step of faith and say, I'd like to go. I, I remember the, the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, where the Bible says about God's having a discussion. With, it's within the Godhead. And they're like talking to each other, the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Who's going to go? Who, who's going to go for us? Isaiah hears it, and he just says, here am I. Send me. Can you do that? I mean, that's when we're talking about the mission, that's one way that God sees people getting involved. Another is interesting. It's the other end. And what that is, is that when someone like, you know, I don't know, someone involved in the church, they call you. Hey, can you help out? And you answer the call. That's the second thing. First is a volunteer. Second is to call and answer the call. 
Look at verse 15. It says, Now I gathered them by the river. So he's got all these people, uh, a little over 2,000 people, and they are uh, by the river that flows to Ahava. We don't know where Ahava is. There's no river. Uh, Some think it's a canal, but uh, it says, And we camped there three days. And I looked around the people and the priests and found that none of the sons of the Levites were there. Then I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathan, Jerib, Elnathan, um, Nathan, Zechariah, Meshulam, leaders, also for Joyarib and Nathan, men of understanding. And I gave them a command for Edo, the chief man at the place, Kaisifia, and I told them what they should say to Edo and his brethren, the Nethanim, at the place Kasifia, that they should bring us servants for the house of our God. Then, by the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of understanding of the sons of Mali, the son of Levi, the son of Israel, namely Sherebiah, with his sons and brothers, eighteen men, and Hashabiah, and with him Jeshaiah of the sons of Merari, his brothers and their sons, Twenty men, also of the Nethanim, who David and the leaders had appointed for the service of the Levites, two hundred and twenty Nethanim, all of them were designated by name. And so what happens here? What happens here is uh, they, they're camping by the river, they're on their journey already, and, uh, and Ezra finds out, hey, time out, we don't got no priests. There's no sons of the Levites here. I mean, I don't know. For whatever reason, it was an oversight. And so what does he do? Is He goes and he calls a man of understanding. They get people involved and they gather up. It's almost like a team. It's like a, a task force to go and to look for servants to serve. And as they go and they look for servants to serve, they find these guys, these 18 priests and the Nethanim, and what ends up happening is God brings more people involved into the mission, into the ministry. And so it's kind of interesting. You're looking at this from two directions. You're looking at those who look at the church, and, and they just are like, it's so cool when you see people. You don't even have to ask them. You don't even have to ask them. They, there's a need. They're there. You know, there's a ministry opportunity, they're there. They go. And it's just awesome to see volunteers, right? And But then there are those times, and I think God is such an awesome God, He doesn't, you know, put us in a box where He says, hey, why don't you go ask that person? Or hey, why don't you put an announcement in the bulletin? Or hey, you know, you get some people to, together to go out and, and look for those that God would call to serve in the ministry, you know? And that's how we gather people. You know, I, I, I was thinking about in the book of Acts when, you know, the church was growing and the Bible says that they didn't want the pastors to, to stop studying the Bible and praying. And so what they did is says, seek out from among you, you know, seven men of good reputation filled with the Holy Spirit. You go looking for them. And then when you find them, have them come in and they can do that. They can do that, and then the church can grow, you see? And so, you know, for us, it's always cool just to know, well, how does God gather servants? And sometimes it's just guys volunteering. 
Other times, God tells me as a pastor, Henry gets involved, people get involved, they come up to you or whatever, and you know maybe you read an announcement in the bulletin, and someone comes and says, hey, this would be good for you, what do you think? And then you're like, no. <laughs> you're like, no, I like, I like my life, I got plenty of margin, man, and I like to kick back, and I don't want to serve and sacrifice, and believe it or not, there are some people that don't want to serve because they don't want to get right with God. That was one of the things that Pastor Bill mentioned last night. I don't want to get, go serve because then I'm going to have to live the life. And when I, when I start living the life, then I'll start serving. Well, why don't you get involved and start living the life at the same time? You know, it's kind of like those people who say, I don't put a Christian bumper sticker on my car because I don't drive right. Well, why don't you drive right and put a Christian bumper sticker on your car? I mean, it's funny, you know. You guys, we get to serve. The king of kings, the Lord of lords. And you're like, well, Manny, I'm not a Levite. I don't expect you to be a Levite. You know, one of the cool things about the Lord is you can just be who you are. And you can reach people I would never reach. That's the way it's supposed to be. And you do things I can't do. Hopefully there's different gifts and talents here. And together, when everybody catches that vision to serve, then God, he just does such an awesome work. But it's just so cool to see, first of all, just the word goes out. People are like, hey, I'd like to go on that. And you got, you know, a couple of thousand people. And then Ezra, hey, we're missing. We need Levites. And so, boom, they start trying to call people. And it's just so cool to see the way that people answer that call. You know, as this is happening, look at verse 18, well, verse 17 again. And, and I gave them a command for Edo, the chief man at the place, Kaisipha. I told them what they should say to Edo and his brethren, the Nephinim at the place, Kaisipha, that they should bring us servants for the house of our God. Right? It seems like it's just man. Well, man's doing it. Man's doing it. No, because look, it says in verse 18, Then by the good hand of our God upon us, they, they brought us a man of understanding. That word right there is in reference to, to discernment and how much we appreciate men and women of discernment, of understanding, you know, because God blesses the church that way. Ephesians 4, it says that Jesus gives to the church men and women like that. It's so cool when you read it right here, right? And so they have all these priests that are involved, and we kind of learn a little bit about ministry. And, uh, and what ends up happening is we do our part, man does his part, responsibility, and God works in his sovereignty, and he puts a team together, right? And so what do we do to finish the mission? Um, I think of things like volunteer. May God move you to volunteer when you hear it, perhaps at a distance, or or I think of calling, you know, um, and how we can serve more people if we have more people to serve them. And I really believe that as a church, uh, you know, we're blessed. We have a certain percentage of those who serve and, and a small percentage of those who give. But imagine if everybody does exactly what God calls them to do in a church. Imagine that. They say that only 10% of the people give 10%. Imagine that. What if everybody caught the vision? Imagine what God can do. You know, see, these are things that the Lord uses, I think, the Lord teaches us 
to be like an Ezra, a man with a mission. What do I do? Um, another thing is, number three, this is important. Now we're coming to something totally different, and that is to be fasting. So I'm going to share this with you guys because I think it's part of what God wanted me to do tonight because, um, you know, last month we had the night of prayer, right? And I, and I mentioned to you that next month we'll fast and pray. Okay, so I'm just going to throw this out at you guys. It's totally up to you, man, because you might be one of those people who you get grumpy when you don't eat. And the last thing in the world I would want you to do is to get grumpy, man. But anyways, next week is the first Thursday of the month. So next week we're going to have a day, a night of prayer. But this is what I'm going to ask you to do if the Lord leads you. Okay, Wednesday night, don't eat dinner. Thursday, don't eat breakfast or lunch. Thursday night, we come here, we pray. So we have fasted now for 24 hours. And then afterwards, we go grub. What do you think, man? What do you think? If the Lord leads you, okay? Now, you might be like, ah, Manny, I don't know if I could do that. Like, not have dinner on Wednesday. That's so difficult to go to bed hungry. And you know what? Part of the reason why I'm asking you to do that is because it's hard for me. And if I know at least one person is doing that with me, then it'll make it easier for me. Why? Because we need the Lord. We need Him so much. And if we're not fasting, we're not really seeking God. I I don't care what you say. You're not seeking God if you're not fasting. Look what we read right here. It says in verse 21, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from Him the right way. Notice for us and our little ones and all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road because... We had spoken to the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him, but his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and entreated our God for this, and he answered our prayer. So how does it work? You know, volunteers, that's cool. While calling and answering the calling, that, that's important. And then there is that place of fasting for us as a church. You know, Ezra proclaimed it. He called for a fast. One translation says he gave orders for everyone to fast. And I'm not doing that totally voluntarily, but I'm just suggesting it, if God lays it in your heart, that we could do this. And, and and what he says right there, look at again in, in verse 21, that we might humble ourselves. What do you mean humble yourself? How does fasting humble you? Well, what fasting, it, it, what it does, it, what it basically says is, I can't do this. Who knows, man? Maybe Ezra was really gifted in organization and leadership. Maybe he was a dynamic teacher who could communicate. You know, and maybe he was, I don't know, good at, at you know, leading people on an, expeditions or adventures or travels or whatever. 
And you can have all that stuff. You can have all the things that you think you need. You've got the money. You've got the gold. You've got the silver. But, but you've got to know in the deepest recesses of your heart that it doesn't even matter if you have all of that and more. It doesn't matter because if you don't got God, then all of that is, is vanity. And then nothing will take place in the spiritual realm. And so, you know, I've talked to people and I've talked to, to I trip out on people. I trip out on some people who, who think they don't need God. You, you, you think you don't need God? Yeah, I got a brain. Yeah, I, got, I go to work. God doesn't want that, you know, give me my paycheck. And, you know, I do it. And I, I just, I just, uh, I think, what did, what did that one guy say, Mr. Mr. T? I pity the fool. I mean, it's just really just such a, a foolish statement. What a fool who says that he doesn't need God. You need, we need God. He gives us our hands to work, Deuteronomy chapter 8 says. It's not you working and earning your own money. He, he, it's totally the Lord. And so when we humble ourselves and, and we fast, it's like we're saying, Lord, we can't do this on our own strength. We, we need you. And that's what, that's what Ezra's doing here. He's, he's fasting. You notice it says right there in verse 11, to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. And I, that's a great family verse right there, to be honest with you. You know, but to, to do what's right, you got to know what's right. And the way that you're going to know what's right is by seeking the Lord. You know, when you're fasting, you know, you're drawing near to him. And he will show you his word, his ways, and his will. You might not know his will. You think you do, but you really don't. You know, it's so interesting. Jeremiah, one of the most famous passages in the Bible, it's Jeremiah, it says, Call to me. And I will answer and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. And a lot of people will use that verse to say, well, God's going to do great things. That's not what that verse teaches. That verse teaches that God will tell you secrets. Call to me and I will answer and I will tell you, God says, great and mighty things. And then Jeremiah goes on and he prophesies. See, when you fast, it's so cool. God answers. You're going to get his voice, his still small voice. You're going to get his marching orders. You're going to get his direction. You're going to get his protection. You're going to get his anointing. Why? Because he found somebody who really does believe in him and knows. John 15, 5, what does it say? Without him, I can do nothing. Nothing. So these are things that we learn, you know, as we fast and we sincerely seek the Lord. And here's Ezra fasting and praying. And it's interesting. I got to go through this real quick. But, you know, he, he's, he was ashamed to ask the king for some soldiers, you know, because uh, he had told the king that the hand of God is upon those who seek him. So it's kind of like, you know, like uh, you tell your, your pagan boss, where God guides, God provides, right? And so you wouldn't, you wouldn't ask your pagan boss, can I have some money for the missions trip, right? Because <laughs> you just got done telling him what you believe, right? And so 
That's where, that's where Ezra was. And so he's like, well, we can't ask for protection because we already told him that the hand of God is upon those who seek him. And we also told him that the hand of God is against those. It says there, his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. And so we were kind of warning the king about that, you know. And so we got to be true to us. And so he just said, we didn't ask for no soldiers. Now, Nehemiah later, he got soldiers. Acts, in the book of Acts 23, when Paul went, he got soldiers. How about us? Do we get soldiers? Can you have a gun to protect yourself? What do you think? Let's take a survey. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> you know, uh, and I, we, I'll just give you the, the condensed story here, and you can read it in Luke. Um, but, you know, when the Lord first sent his disciples out, he said, don't take a, a, a money bag. You know, you can just trust me, I'll provide. And he says, leave your sword here. I'll protect. Okay, later on, he says, go ahead and take your money bag and go ahead and, and, and take a sword. And you're like, well, what? why is the Lord doing that? Here's the reason. First lesson you got to know is that it's not that gun that protects you. It's God. Now, once you learn that, if you want to have a gun, that's okay. Because ultimately... It's God who protects you. Do you know that? And so, you know, sometimes God will do things like through Ezra or like he did through George Mueller. George Mueller, man, he, he, he actually provided for 100,000 orphans. He never asked for money. When you read his journals, you want to know something? Because he wrote, wrote everything down in his prayers. We have recorded answers to 50,000 specific prayer requests. He never asked for money. Never, not once. And God did such a great work. So here's the thing. Does that mean it's wrong to ask? No, not, not necessarily. Just as long as you know it's the Lord. That's the most important thing, right? Because we do see it in the Bible. There are times where they ask for things for the tabernacle or the temple or whatever the case may be. Paul basically, you know, giving opportunity for them to give to the poor. I mean, we see that in the scriptures, right? The most important principle is that you got to know it's the Lord. You know, uh, Psalm 121, that, that passage is on my, on my, because every time I go on a missions trip, man, I think about that. It's the Lord who preserves your going out and your coming in. He is the one who protects us. And so Ezra here is an example because, like I said, he would be going through the hood, and I don't really know much about the hood. I remember when I first got saved, I dressed up like a gang member. I went into all these places where my friend took me. He, was a, he used to minister to gang members, and I was just so scared because I was definitely not, I didn't even look like a gang member at all, right? And so, you know, you go into dangerous places, and, you know, God was your shield, right? This is where Ezra is he's teaching us that again. I, I Look at what God can do. I mean, going down in this time of year, it's a spring, there would be robbers there. there would, it would just be so dangerous because of the fact that they are carrying so much gold. $12 million worth of gold, $11 million worth of silver. They don't got no soldiers, none. Now, if that were you, wouldn't you be carrying at least one gun? <laughs> no, God's going to protect, and the Lord protected. 
And so when you look at this right here, you're looking about the mission and how does it all work and where does it all end? And, and then we read in verse 24, and I separated 12 of the, the leaders of the priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and 10 of their brethren with them, and went out to them the silver, the gold, and the articles, the offering for the house of our God, which the king and his counselors and his princes and all Israel who were present had offered. I weighed into their hands 650 talents of silver, Silver articles weighing 100 talents, uh, 100 talents of gold, 20 gold basins worth a thousand drachmas, and two vessels of fine polished bronze, precious as gold. And here it is. And I said to them, You are holy to the Lord. The articles are holy also, and the silver and the gold are a freewill offering to the Lord God. Of your fathers. Okay, last thing for tonight. We're, we're saying, okay, how does the, the mission get successful? Number one, um, volunteer. Don't wait for Manny or Henry or someone to twist your arm. Volunteer. Number two, we're going to call and hopefully people will answer. Sometimes you got to do that. If God calls, Answer the call. Number three is you, you do, you're engaged in spirit-led fasting. Don't tell me you're serious about seeking God if you're not fasting. And then number four, it says right there in verse 28, you are holy. You are holy. You're set apart. You're, you're, you're not of this world. You're different. I have set you apart to do a specific work in the church. You're like a vessel. That's where that word came from. The vessels of the temple, they were holy. They were set apart for a sacred use. You guys, we belong to God. We belong to Jesus Christ. You know, I want to encourage you to know that. And these guys right here, they would be responsible for the offering and taking it. And, you know, they were given, like I said, $12 million of gold, $11 million of silver. They got some brass. They would have to be real careful with it. When they went to Jerusalem, they'd have to weigh it to make sure it was just the same amount as they took with them, right? It's a heavy responsibility, literally. We're talking about tons of silver, right? But the thing is, is that for us, you know, it's a heavy responsibility, no matter what it is. You want to know why? Because, you know, that person over there doing that job over on yonder allows, you know, me to preach or allows others to do different things. So in one sense, it's no, nothing is more like important. We need each other. And so what we got to know is this, that that, that we are holy and that there's so much in that statement, I will say this, that if you're here and you're, you're living an unholy life, you're, 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 you know, you're playing with sin, you're doing things that you know you shouldn't be doing, you know, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to like beat you up or, or anything. I really don't think that that would be too effective right now. 
I just want to rather like stimulate you or motivate you in a different way that that you are wholly set apart to God for something that is so great, so glorious that that you, that we, we really should be all in. You know, that's where these guys were. You're holy, and these vessels are holy, and and I think that when that that really sinks in, you guys, um, then God does such a good work in us. God help us to repent of our sins. God give us the strength. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. One day you're going to stand before Him. I was talking to. A guy today at JW and trying to just share that with him. One day we're going to stand before God. The great white throne for those who don't know the Lord. Those who do is the beam of seat. But either way, one day we're going to stand before him. Prayerfully, man, we live today in light of that day. And that we would have no regrets. No woulda, coulda, shouldas at the end of life. Okay? So let's uh, let's stop there uh, tonight. We have communion, and just man, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord just uh, work by His Holy Spirit in us. That as we have communion tonight, that we would thank Him for the cross. Aren't you guys glad that you're forgiven? Oh man, Lord, thank you. Some of you guys really need it, like really, <laughs> but. You guys know that there's nothing too bad, nothing that can, you know, necessarily trump the blood of Jesus. Isn't that cool? And that's why you got to place your faith in him.